and it's a long reading. So the words will be on the screen. I'm going to rapid read it. It's the story of the woman at the well, and uh, I shall read it at a pace. You can follow it on the screen, or you can just listen to the storyteller. You, whichever you feel he finds the most helpful. Here we go. John 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from this journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into, into the city to buy food. And the, Samari the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you've nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get the, that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of the water, of this water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, and when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You'll worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, that he who is called Christ, when he comes he will, t he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They'd marvel that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what, what, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man. He told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. That, but he said to them, I, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, 
Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. I, I was preaching in a church last month. And, uh, you know, you, it's on a Sunday morning and uh, after the service it was coffee time in, in the church hall. You know the kind of deal? And so you go in and you get yourself a cup of tea or coffee and then you're talking to people as the coffee goes down and then you're finished with the coffee and people are drifting away and you don't know what to do with the cup. Have you ever had that crisis of uncertainty? And uh, so I wandered into the kitchen with my cup hoping that somebody would either show me what to do with it, wash it, or would wash it for me. And uh, there were three or four women in the kitchen and uh, one of them, the, the lady here, youngish lady, but she looked as a bit worse for wear. She, she looked, actually she'd been a bit knocked about, a bit roughed up, I suppose you might say. She wasn't a kind of Marks and Spencers spe- you know, specimen. Um, she had uh, tattoos on her tattoos, uh, at least what I could see. I presume that there were tattoos elsewhere as well, but we won't go there. And that, uh, So I, I stood there making certain judgments about this lady, because everybody else, you know, looked like pucker Baptists, you know, like you. Um, but this lady didn't kind of fit. And uh, so I, you know, like, you're just making stupid evaluations. You are, David Alton, you don't know what you're talking about. And then somebody invited, made a comment to this lady, and she said, yes, she said. She, she had a strong Valley's accent, so I ain't going to try and imitate that. But this is what she said. She said, yeah, I'm being baptised in a fortnight's time, and I'm going to be able to stand up and tell everybody what Jesus has done for me. It was as if I had a slap across my face. Because Jesus had saved a lady who previous to recent weeks had nothing to do with the Christian faith, nothing to do with the church. It was written all over her life and the Lord Jesus had saved her. She was a new woman inside. It just hadn't worked out onto the outside. And uh, after, after another lady had washed my cup, and I, I mean, I was amazing. Well, it was just amazing that God had saved this woman. And so I, I went to speak to one of the leaders. He says, yeah, do you know, he said, this week 
the lady that runs the Chinese takeaways become a Christian. Oh, is it? How was that? Well, I went in to buy my Chinese takeaway. And there's only me in the shop. She looked thoroughly miserable. So I asked her what was up. And she told me. And he said, well, it's Jesus you need, isn't it? Well, she said, I think it might be. Well, I'll tell you what, he said. There's my phone number. If you want to talk about what Jesus can do for you, give me a ring. Well, sure enough, in the middle of the week, the phone rang. It's the lady who runs the Chinese takeaway. And she said, you know, yeah, I'd like to meet. So he met her. And she said, and he said, and, you know, she kind of went round the gardens a bit. And then he says, you know, you, you, you need to become a Christian. Yes, I do, she said. Do you want to invite the Lord Jesus into your heart now? Yes, I do, she said. I, does she know what she's talking about? Anyway, um, so, so he prayed with her, and, and she did. And she was in church, and she saved. Oh. And uh, the, the leader said to me, he said, you know, he said, um, and I knew, I knew this community because I'd heard that it was a place where there were a lot of covens, white magic places and worse, and uh, a number of covens. And uh, he said, we even had the local witch baptised at Easter. That, that apparently something was kicking off, the ex-witch, I might just explain, um, that, uh, that, that something was happening in her life which really worried her of an occult nature. And she was talking to somebody outside the school gates and said, oh, you need to go and talk to so-and-so in, in, the, ch in the church. So she did. And she became a Christian. Got rid of all the rubbish. Burnt a lot. How does that happen? How, how does Jesus change people? Because like Paul said, doesn't he? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away and the new has come. And it's interesting, then when you think about the woman by the well, because, you know, Jesus kind of picked his targets, didn't he? In the previous chapter, he's talking to Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He, he's, he's a member of the Sanhedrin, the kind of Knesset of his day. He, he's one of the religious privileges, the, the governors of, of the nation. And he moves from him to this woman, this undesirable, to show how change works. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, in the first three verses that we read, it says, because of some issues over John the Baptist... He decided to leave Judea in the south and go up to the north, to the Galilee. And he needed to go through Samaria. Well, it wasn't that he needed to because that was the only road. He needed to because he needed to. There, there, there were, this was a deliberate route to go through Sychar. Because most, if you were a self-respecting Jew... You kind of leave Jerusalem here, turn right, <coughs> get to the Jordan, go up the Jordan Valley, then turn left, and Bob's your uncle, you're in Galilee. You, you kind of did a detour to avoid Samaria, because Samaria was corrupt. That, that 
At the time of the Assyrians, there had been an invasion. The, the people of the northern kingdoms have been carted off into exile, goodness knows where, and heathen nations had been moved and settled in Samaria. So they, were, they didn't marry, they were a mixed population. They were unclean. They, they were spiritually compromised. They had their own temple. They, they, they didn't offer lambs in this. To this day they have their own temple. They don't offer lambs, they offer cockerels. Well, imagine to a Jew, that is just disgusting. But you don't need go through Samaria. You avoid Samaria. Samaria is just not the kind of place you go for your holidays. Jesus must, must. And he seems to have gone to meet this woman, this outcast, this disreputable woman. Was she a whore? Maybe. Maybe he was just describing her string of men nicely. But he certainly didn't detour, and he didn't avoid women. Jews had this thing about women. Guys, don't go near them. And whatever you do, if you're talking to them, look away. Because if you look them in the eye, they'll think you're proposing to them. And it's the sex you're after, so you don't do that. You kind of, you know, keep a wide berth. Dangerous things, women. Very unstable. And uh, they were wrong, of course. I was just talking to my friend here, just to kind of make the point. But that, that was the culture that they're living in. But if you've got a woman like this, what well, avoid her like the plague. But Jesus just seems completely indifferent to that. He completely ignores this taboo. He tramples on the tradition, peer pressure, public opinion, protocol and political correctness. He completely ignores. It's amazing, isn't it? I've got to go through Samaria. Through, through Tamaria, I will go. He sends his disciples off to the town and hangs around, sat on a well, expecting this woman to come. And he knew all about her. You know what he said to her. She didn't know that he'd read her, he'd read her notes, but he had. So he sat there waiting for this woman to come. And the, the, I've got two things just want to unpack briefly. But don't miss it. Jesus deliberately went for the least, the lost, and the low. The woman in the kitchen after the service, Jesus had gone to save her, even in all of her sin and mess. And the same here. She, she was what they would have called a midday woman. Women didn't go to the well at midday. One, it was too hot. And they certainly didn't go on their own. They would go as a group of women, for one reason, it makes a lot of sense, because you've got that pot, which you're going to carry on your head. I mean, when that's full of water, it is heavy. It's heavy on your head. But getting it to your head is not the most straightforward matter. So we all go together and we help fill the pot and get it on the head so we can all walk back together um, but she goes on her own. She's an outcast. 
she's socially undesirable. She has to go when nobody else is going because everybody else avoids her. And, uh, and, and Jesus goes to meet this woman. And it, he sits on the well. That's what the original says. And the well is still there, it seems. I've, I've not been to Sychar. I can't pretend I have any personal knowledge. I just read the books. But apparently, on the well at Sychar is a big stone. It's about 20 feet across and about that deep. And it's like a donut. It, it's over the... Tra- the, the idea, you know the, the kind of a well with a little roof on it and a, and a wheel and a bucket on a, on a piece of rope and it goes up and down? Not that one. That, that's in Somerset. In Sychar, it's just a hole in the middle of a donut. And uh, so when it says that Jesus sat on the well, sounds a bit odd, but he's just sitting on the donut. The trouble is, he hasn't got a bucket to put in the hole. So he's waiting for this woman to come. And uh, just imagine it, you see, because have nothing to do with womankind is how the, how the Jews put it. So there he is, sat on the well, and there's a, there's a, a 20-foot rule if you're a, an Orthodox Jew. And so the woman's walking towards the well, and we're doing a calculation. Are we 20? What's 20 feet? I don't know. Is this 20 feet? And that she shouldn't close, come closer than 20 feet unless he backs off. So she'll be shuffling at the, uh, within range, waiting for him to clear off out of the way so that she could get her water. But it's obvious he's not going anywhere. So she's a bit of a brazen woman anyway. And, whoa, it's not my fault, it's your fault. So she, she walks up to the well, even though he sat there. And Jesus stayed. Do you understand how absolutely alien to culture what Jesus is doing here? And he, he sits down and, and talks to the woman and, and <laughs> it's all wrong, you see, Lord. You shouldn't do it this way. He says, give me to drink. He, he doesn't offer her life or tell her to become a good Jew. He asks this disreputable woman for a drink. It's an interesting approach to mission rather than being patronising to actually get to her level and let her help you. Interesting model of mission, not often seen. And because he hasn't got a bucket. I didn't realise this. I read this in a book as well. Uh, Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes. Apparently, um, it... If you were a traveller, you carried your bucket with you. And it wasn't a kind of cast iron one with a handle. It, it was a leather bag. And fastened to the top were two sticks that were joined together. And if you swung the sticks like that, it opened the bag. And on the end of the, where the, where the sticks cross, there's a, there's a rope. So you drop a stone in that and lower it down and get your water. But then when you do that to it, and then wrap the leather round it, and then the string round it, you've just got this much, which is your bucket, and you just carry it with you for when you get to a well. He must have watched the disciples going into town with the bucket. 
when, when I say that his encounter with this woman was deliberate, it was deliberate to the detail. And he asked the woman for a drink. And she says, well, you know what she says. He offers her living water. Living water was spring water, flowing water, fresh water. Water in the bottom of the well could just be a little bit stale, a little bit clouded, not fresh. And so she accepts. And then Jesus immediately turns the conversation. Go and get your husband, bring him here. And she probably just smelt a rat at this point. And, uh, well, um, uh, I've had five husbands, <laughs> and the one I've got now isn't my husband. Oh, she didn't say that, did she? She said, the one I'm married to isn't my husband. And Jesus said, no, you've had five. He immediately went to the point of her regret and guilt and shame with a word of knowledge. Nobody told him this. He hadn't been talking to people earlier at the well. He, he knew by the Spirit what was in her life and circumstances. And he, he knew that she'd been recycling husbands, whatever the nature of that was. And in verses 16 and 17, he's confronting this woman, challenging this woman, exposing this woman's need of a saviour. I hear trends today, well, you know, you can't, we've just got to be inclusive and accept people. At one level, yes. Well, you know, we mustn't be judgmental. We must just tell people that God loves them and, and that they're okay. Well, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus helped this woman to see her need and confronted her with her past life, that she might turn from it. And it, it's very interesting, you know, you read the New Testament, and I, I'm thinking of Corinthians 6, don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, Paul says. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, they're not going to get in. I don't hear that in a lot of evangelism manuals today. I'm not sure we call people to repentance in quite the way we used to. No, no male prostitutes, no homosexual offenders. I remember hearing Peter Tatchell of Outrage, the gay rights organisation, once saying that what Mein Kampf, the Nazi manual, was to the Jew, the Bible is to the homosexual. Actually, he's right. The Bible is explicit. The scripture is not ambiguous in saying that God disapproves of that kind of behaviour. But it's not just that. We love to pick our, the, the sins that we dislike, don't we? we? We don't continue with the rest of the verse. He, that he, no, no homosexual offenders, no thieves, nor the greedy. God is offended by the sin of greedy people nor the drunkard, nor the slanderer, the person who runs down somebody else behind their back and ruins their reputation, nor swindlers, careful how you sell your second-hand car, 
will inherit the kingdom of God. The, the Bible is very explicit about what God has no truck with whatsoever. Calls it sin. Says that judgment is pending on certain forms of behaviour. I, I, I find the fact that Jesus went directly, poked this lady in her moral eye and told her how many husbands she'd have. Why? Well, because he wanted repentance is the way to new life. As so somebody said, God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And so it is with this woman. He didn't ignore or avoid or condone her behavior. He brought her to repentance and faith and life and grace and hope and forgiveness. And, and I, that part of the conversation isn't recorded. But she goes legging it off to the city to say, oh, come. I mean, come and, isn't it amazing? Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. The day before, she would be totally cringing if anybody would mentioned all the things that she ever did. But now, she wants everybody to know all the things that everybody had ever done because Jesus has just forgiven them. She just had her sins washed away. She just had her heart made clean. And she has to go and tell everybody. And uh, is, it, is it when the, and they say that the whole town starts marching out to the well to meet this Jesus who's the, who's the Christ? Then was it then when all the people, imagine them, walking up the hill, down the hill, across the field, whatever, and uh, that he's pointing to it, said, look, the fields are white for harvest. Oh! And then there's what they call the Samaritan revival. Uh, they, they all come and hear Jesus, meet Jesus, talk, and now we all believe, not because of what you said, but because we've heard what he says. He's the saviour of the world. Uh, and the point, of course, is that God loves Samaritans. He loves messed up people. He loves the people that we don't like. He loves the people that look different, smell different, behave wrong to us. We might like Marks and Spencer's people. He likes the others. Loves them. Loves Samaritans. Loves to see Samaritans come. He touches the untouchable. He, he deliberately went to this woman by the well and cleansed her from the inside out and the woman in the kitchen. Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that why you're a Christian? Because he wasn't too picky when he chose you? I would say, my time has gone, but I'm carrying on anyway. I won't be long. This is a bit upfront and personal for her, isn't it? I mean, how embarrassing. This guy knows how many husbands I've had. And the one I'm, I'm living with now is not my husband. I'm just shacked up with him. And so she, she tries to wriggle out of the conversation. She tries to duck and weave. And she says, oh, of course, you Jews, you worship over there, Jerusalem. Uh, we, we Samaritans, we worship over here. Well, no, she doesn't. <laughs> she wouldn't go anywhere near the temple. Because all the other people were there and they kick her out. It's like people saying, oh, oh no, I, I'm Church of England. They no, never go. Or, I'm Welsh Baptist. They definitely never go. <laughs> and Jesus 
says, no, 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 you got it wrong. Knowing God is not about externals. It's not about ritual. It's not about places. It's not about temples and ceremonies and race and tradition. It's about something happening in here. He said, it's like a new wine in new wineskins. When I became a Christian on the 2nd of February at 20 past 7, or whether it was the night before you, whatever, and I, I received a new heart and a new life started. The Spirit of God came into my heart and started to work from the inside out. A new dynamic, a new reality. Paul said, didn't he, that don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That's the deal. That's the deal. We, we are a people who, that life indwells us, that put... Jesus, remember on the great day of the feast, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Remember what he said? And out of your innermost being will flow what? Rivers. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is a person with the life of God in the soul of men. On the 2nd of February, all those years ago, the Spirit of God came into my heart and made me a new person. I was born again. It was a new life begun. I was changed. I needed to be. And, and even, it's extraordinary. Just imagine this. This woman, she looks, she doesn't look great. She's had that many husbands and she's been a social outcast for that long. Imagine that Jesus says, in that heart, there will be a spring of fresh water. In that life, <laughs> a, the life of God will begin to flow and change her completely. That we've come into God's zone. The Spirit of God has come into my spirit. God's biblical truth has come into my life to produce integrity. And, and even my worship is not dependent on the band or the drum kit or how cool the song... No, 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 it's, it's the Spirit. He's come into my heart. That God is a reality to me. I delight, desire Him. It, it's more of the, the life of God in here that I need... Isn't it? Isn't that the most important thing about church? Knowing God for myself in here, that uh, my soul has been satisfied. Do you know, since I met the Saviour all those years ago, I've never gone looking for another. Have you? I have never gone looking for another. That uh, Somebody said that within every man there's a, 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 a God-shaped blank. I had my blank filled. Augustine said... That my heart, my soul is restless until it find rest in thee. I found rest. That I, I realized which field the treasure was in and I went and bought the field. Did you? 
To find the pearl of greatest price, I mean. To know the Lord Jesus in my heart. Do you, do you remember Malcolm Muggeridge? I'm nearly done. Relax. Do you, do you, remember, do you remember Malcolm Muggeridge? He was a kind of newsreader, newscaster, controversialist, raconteur, that kind of guy. He was, very, he was communist at one period and, and then moderated to the right. This is Malcolm Muggeridge. Listen to what he says. I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. He was a celeb. That's what we call him now. That's fame, he says. I can fairly easily earn enough money to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the inland revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even that the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I've said or wrote was sufficiently heeded for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfilment. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million, add them all together, and they are nothing measured against one draft of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. Have you drunk of that water of life? Have you come to the fountain as, as Isaiah spoke of? See, the woman by the well did. You, you can almost trace, we talk of it these ways, don't we, nowadays? We, you can trace her journey. Remember her journey? Because her journey started when she came to the well and there was this bloke sat on the donut. And she had no idea at that point who she was dealing with. And then, verse 19, she said, I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay, she's, she's moving in the right direction. Uh, and then she goes into the town and says, I, found, I think I found the Messiah. And then you come to the end and she's talked to all her neighbours and everybody saying, we, we now believe that he is the saviour of the world. And it all starts when this woman receives the gift and comes to Jesus to drink. We've all got to do that. Some of us may need to do it for the first time, but we've all got to come there. It, it may be that you've come there years ago, but you just got dry. You just got too tied up in the temple and not been enough to the fountain. The woman in the kitchen, when I went to wash my cup of tea, had found the fountain and drunk deeply. Let's just bow our heads and pray together. Lord Jesus, it, it's... It's wonderful that you came to offer us living water. To offer us water to drink what you give so that we will live forever. 
the water that I give will be a well of water springing up to eternal life. And Lord Jesus, I've heard the stories tonight and I'm not really sure whether I've really come there. Well, that's fine. Pray like this, Lord Jesus, I want you to pour your water of life into my heart, into my life. I want you to forgive me like you forgive the woman by the well. I want you to wash me clean like you washed her. I want you to change me from the inside out like you did her. Work that work in me, Lord Jesus. And it may be just that you've just got so busy and just got dry, dry. Forgotten how sweet the water tastes. And Lord Jesus, we come to you and say, Lord, I want to come back to you. I want, Lord Jesus, to be in your company. That God is spirit. And you want me to worship you in spirit drinking deeply of all the riches you've always had for me. So Lord, as I come to you, will you pour life? Will you unstop the well, the spring, that the work of the Spirit will be plentiful in my life? In Jesus' name, amen.